you know, good news in the 21st century, particularly our social media world we live in, it's a little bit harder to tell somebody good news today than what it used to be. Because now it's like, hey, did you hear so-and-so's pregnant? Yeah, I heard it yesterday. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, did you hear so-and-so got the new job? Yeah, it showed up. I saw that last week. How do you not know that? It didn't show up on my algorithm till today. You know, it's like we're in this world. You can't tell anybody good news. They know it already. The news travels uh, so fast. I feel like I've got a little bit of um, an interesting perspective when it comes to sharing good news or telling people news. Because anytime I'm like, hey, uh, can we connect? I want to tell you something. I want to talk to you about something. People get really afraid. They, 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 I don't know if they think that like I'm going to crucify them or something, but that's not how any of this works. Or, or if they think that uh, I have like, uh, some, like the spiritual gift of knowledge, like a word of knowledge, like where God just downloads knowledge for my safekeeping to know, which is a spiritual gift, and God does that, and it's happened to me before, and it's wild and crazy. Um, but I don't walk around like doing that all the time where I know like everything, right? Um, and so I don't know what it is, but, and I make matters much worse when I connect with people and I have something to tell them. And I don't know if you know anybody else that does this, but they'll tell a 20-minute story leading up to the news. Like, I, I can't just tell you the thing. I got to tell you everything that led up to the thing and why that's so important. This is especially, you know, terrible with me and people end up like, hey, will you just get to it already? And so if I ever do that to you, you have been forewarned that it's coming. And so I'll try not to do that in my sermon today. We'll get uh, to the, the text and see, once you finally get the news, we have one or two reactions. Like the build up, the anticipation, the expectation was either worth it, the payoffs there, or well, it, it wasn't worth it. All that for that, like, for that, that was like for nothing. Like, why? And, and I feel like Beckett's the, the worst about this. Uh, and Taryn and I do this uh, often. We have something to tell him, like, hey, you're going to do this. Daddy already told me. Hey, did you know that? Yeah, mommy already told me. And he's just like so cold about it. He can't, like, so we want to share the excitement. But we have one of those two reactions, like, no uh, big deal. I guess uh, the, the thing that sets us up for, like, you know, letdowns is uh, maybe like your favorite movie. Think of, of your favorite movie, and they decided to come out with a sequel. And then like two and a half years of buildup of trailers, and you weren't excited because, frankly, you know sequels are usually not good. And the, you, but then you get excited, all the trailers, and then you kind of buy into it, and you start getting excited about it. And then, of course, you see the movie, major letdown, right? Because sequels are always a letdown. Or maybe on the other side of things, maybe it's like your favorite band. Maybe think of your favorite band. And you're watching them online or on social media, and they're kind of teasing. We have a big announcement. Is it a new album? Is it a tour? We don't know. They're just teasing it and getting everybody excited. And, and then finally, the, they let the news out, and it's, it's a tour, and they're coming to Jacksonville. And you get like, yes, it was worth it. The buildup was worth it. We have one of these responses. And, and nobody was anticipating the news of a com the coming birth of the Savior, of the Messiah more than Israel. For hundreds of years, literally hundreds of years, there had been these prophecies that were built up that a Savior would be born. And he'd be born even in this town of Bethlehem. But so many people, that didn't, he didn't come the way they thought he were going to come. They had expectations and had thought he was going to look a certain way. And so when he arrived, they didn't even recognize him. They, they missed out on Jesus, even in 
their midst. I mean, they were expecting, they were anticipating uh, was around a Messiah who would come and restore political power and authority and bring prosperity to Israel and, and, and someone that would put the unrighteous in their place and, and someone who would give the righteous, you know, their, their final say and kind of their authority because they've been good. And then Jesus preaches his first message and he said blessed are the poor in spirit and they were expecting prosperity and 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 Jesus goes on to teach that I didn't come for the righteous but I came to the unrighteous and and this whole his whole ministry would just basically be unwinding all their expectations but I, I want to take us on a journey that kind of takes us way back and and one of the the final lens that we're going to look at here in this Christmas season this Christmas kaleidoscope is, is these shepherds. Last week we talked about the Magi and how they arrived maybe a year or two later after Jesus was born. They came much later. But these shepherds, these shepherds were on the scene the day of, um, the day of his birth. They came and they found him in a manger. And uh, do I have any history buffs in the room? Anyone who likes, like you watch the History Channel? Okay, there's a few of you. Yeah, I love it. Gets, first service, there was one, there was one person. And so I'm like, all right, you guys got to bear with me. So we got a lot of history fans. You guys are going to be with me on this. Everybody else, bear with me. We will make it through this together. But it's so important that we study history and that we study the context because it, it allows us to bring everything to light so that we can apply it appropriately. Uh, because when I've always taught about the shepherds, and you've probably heard this, and this is probably your understanding, if you've been here and this is your only church, the only church you've had in, in a long time, then, then you've heard my teaching on this. And, and this year, as I began to study the shepherds, I just felt God saying, go deeper, go deeper, and there's, there's more. And I just began to be like, wow, there's so, so much more. So before we have our brief oral history of Israel on their perspective and view of shepherds. Before we do that, let's read the text. Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 8 <clears throat> through 21. Uh, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, and they were keeping watch over their flocks at night. They were living out in the fields. Don't miss that. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace on those, uh, to those on whom his favor uh, rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they came to him, they spread word. Uh, and when they had uh, seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which they were just as they had been told. And on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. The 
Israel had long awaited this moment, and God chose to bring this message to shepherds. So for years, I've taught this, and you've probably heard this taught, that these shepherds were these lowly outcasts on the fringes of society, and, and they weren't really allowed to, um, because they would you know, come in contact with blood, they weren't permitted to be in the temple worship, and, and uh, they, they didn't have family life because they lived out in the fields, and so they were disconnected and lived a pretty lonely existence. And while some of that is, is still true, there's, there's more to the story. There's more to the story about these shepherds and really how Israel viewed them um, because that, that, will, that will make a difference of why God brought this message to the shepherds and not just to the shepherds, but through the shepherds. There's something about that. If we begin to go into the history of why do we think these guys were outcasts? Because there's nothing in the New Testament that tells us these shepherds were outcasts. Nothing. I've taught it before, and the reason we teach it, uh, end up talking about that, is actually a guy that you're well familiar with, his uh, history of it, uh, Aristotle. Aristotle, 300 years before in Greece, began to teach that, uh, you know, and, and talk about in his culture, shepherds were really looked down on, and they were these outcasts of society. And while much of that is, is true, I want to kind of dial it back and think about that for a second, because he was in Greece. 300 years prior, and we're talking about Israel and how Israel views them, because that's really how we want to study it, is, is how Israel uh, knew about this. So um, that's where that whole history and where that mindset came from. But let's take it back and begin to look all through the scriptures to understand how did Israel view shepherds, so that we might know why is God bringing this message to shepherds, and, and what is God speaking to us through this. Well, if we go all the way back to Genesis, we'll see that Abraham, the father who had many sons, that Abraham in Genesis chapter 13, he was a shepherd. And, and Jacob, his, his grandson, he was a shepherd. I'm sure Isaac tended sheep uh, as well, his, his son, but Jacob was a shepherd, as was his future wife, wife Rachel. She was uh, a shepherd. And so in this patriarchal era, if we can call that, there was this high view of shepherds, like the father of the faith, Abraham, uh, that God gave the promise to, that called him out in his late years, that he would birth a nation out of, like Israel, he'd birth them out of uh, their family. And, and when they were late in years, God had this promise over their life. Um, it started with a man who was a shepherd. And so there was this high view of, of shepherds for a long time. Uh, because of this, well, Israel would end up being taken into captivity, Egyptian slavery, 400 years of slavery, and the Egyptians had a very low view of shepherds. Actually, Genesis uh, chapter, I think it's 49, uh, tells us that Egyptians thought that shepherds were detestable. So this is really the first kind of instance we see that they're really looked down on, and it's in Egyptian culture because they were all farmers there. And farmers and shepherds are like this historical, like anti one another in their occupations. And so they were always going back and forth. In fact, the first murder we see in the scriptures, two brothers, Cain and Abel, one was a farmer 
and was, one was a shepherd. Now, the murder didn't happen over sheep or over land, but usually the, the whole kind of tension there historically was because she, the, the shepherd would allow the sheep to graze and eat up the crops and ruin them. And so you can see where that had led to some neighborhood tensions. And, and so we, we move on from uh, this Egyptian kind of slavery uh, era and the people are coming to Canaan, the promised land, and they've carried with them all this same thought process and mentality of 400 years in Egypt. We carry with us whatever perception and projection we have of people and certainly of God. We're going to talk more about that today. And so in this Canaan era, they have this whole uh, kind of ant, still anti Shepherd, but then we are introduced to a guy named David. Uh, remember the shepherd David, the little shepherd boy, and, and the people love David. And he rises to the throne after slaying uh, the giant Goliath, and and in this time, it begins to raise the view of shepherds that people actually triumphed. This this man of the people who was just kind of a nobody from nowhere rises up to take power, and he was such a good king. People loved him for what he brought them and for what he represented and the type of man that he was. So there's this raised view. But, but think through like other things we have in, in the Old Testament, like the Psalms. Uh, what's the most famous Psalm there is? How does it begin? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And we see this actually throughout the Old Testament in which God is viewed as a shepherd. But then we're talking... So, you see, we're carrying all this forward, and then we get to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 2, and the first word we get about shepherds in Matthew chapter 2 is Matthew quoting Micah, quoting Micah chapter 5, which is a prophetic book, uh, and he, he's quoting this in, in Matthew 2 verse 6, Judah, you are not the least because a leader will come out from you who will shepherd my people Israel it was a fulfilled prophecy about Jesus. A leader will come out from the least, out from the field, out from nowhere, from this small little community, going to come up to shepherd my people. And so as we begin to, to look into this New Testament account of these shepherds, how should we view them? How should we understand what God is speaking here? Well, they were lowly in society. They were. It, it was an occupation nobody really wanted to sign up for because they, they found themselves in the fields far away, living in the fields. It was one that had a lot of hard work and and it's nonstop, 24-7 job, one that isolated them from community, from religious worship, from uh, their families. Um, but there was something connected deep in the story of God from Abraham through Cain and Abel, through Jacob, through Isaac, through Moses, through David, and all along, God is viewed as shepherd. So how might we take this into the New Testament? Because there's some good shepherds and there's some bad shepherds. And so when Jesus says in, in the gospel of John, I am the good shepherd. I'm, the, I'm not one of these bad shepherds that you've seen who don't take care of your property. No, no, I'm, the, I'm the good shepherd, the one who will lay down his life for his sheep. And that's why Christ came to this earth. And so I want to talk about it a little bit more about these shepherds and, and, and really what they went through and, and what we see in the scriptures of how they embraced this moment. They, they not only embraced the moment that terrified them at first, but they embraced the message of the good news. 
And then they uh, uh, eventually, they, they embrace the mission to go and witness and share the good news of Jesus and how we too might embrace the moment, embrace the message, and embrace the mission that he's called us to. Why, why were these shepherds terrified? You remember in, in the text what the scripture says? Why were they terrified? Because the glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. Uh, th- there was this, uh, there's a story from Taryn's uh, childhood in which um, her, her and her mom, she was, I think, seven years old, they, and they, got, they broke down on the side of the road. And uh, if you know her mom, like there's this phrase that comes back to her grandfather that um, they can be a little bit anxious at times, and uh, what her mom calls skittish. We can get a little bit skittish. Anybody know like that? You just get a little bit anxious. Anybody got family like that? Or like, that's me. Like, I get real anxious in situations. And so uh, she's with her seven-year-old, doesn't really know, but they broke down the side of the road, and, uh, and she's getting a little skittish, getting a little nervous. Well, someone pulls up behind them, um, and I think we can have two ways of viewing this. We can be like, well, that's good news. Someone has arrived to help me. Or in her mind, it's someone has arrived to harm me. And she's not sure uh, at that time, but she, she looks out the window and she sees these people and they were not the good news kind of people. They, they were not the people that like were coming to help. You could see it on their faces. They were moving quickly and intended harm to, to steal or, or, or to do something to them. And so she became very fearful and began to pray, like pray incessant, incessantly. And she's a, a prayer warrior. She began to pray over this guy that God would protect them, that God would bring his angels to encamp around them. And she's a, a fiery uh, a woman of God. And she began to pray. And in that moment, she looked back and, and she saw them, these, these two men that were coming towards them with the kind of a fierce look on their face become terrified in their face. Like these guys who were charging, their countenance changed and they become terrified and they turn the other way and they run from this. This has happened, there's real people that came and, and her mom doesn't obviously like know like totally what took place, but she believes that there is some type of angelic presence that she began to pray for their protection, that God showed up in, a, in a, what she would call a supernatural way that scared these guys to turn and flee from them from doing them harm. Crazy. The glory of the God, the glory of God is terrifying. Like God showing up is terrifying. And I think in our lives, God showing up in our life scares us. It scares us, and that is a normal reaction. God calling to us, God speaking to us, God calling us to do something. The first reaction is natural and it's terror. It's terrified. And so if you ever feel like God is, you know, telling you to do something or you feel like this is what you're supposed to do and God's guiding you here and it scares you, that's okay. Like that's a normal emotion, but it's an, it's an emotion that God does not want us imprisoned to. Uh, in John 14, Jesus said, my peace I bring to you, my peace I give you. I leave, I, I give to you. I do not give it as the world gives. How does the world give peace? Hey, just take this to take the edge off. You know, here, here's a, a little something, something that'll get you to chill. Like, hey, come do this. Let's do this. Do a little treat yourself to bring some peace. And God says, I don't, I don't give peace like that. I, I want to do something on the inside that, that, that will allow your heart to not be troubled. 
And, and I wonder if God might be able to do something, if we could embrace the, the moment God has with us here, and, and maybe all throughout our week and days where we could encounter God and not, not run in fear, but embrace it and, and know that he doesn't want us in prison to it. He has peace for us. I was talking with somebody uh, this week who feels a vocational call to ministry, which is uh, terrifying, uh, to say the least. And they're processing it, and they're excited, and, and they're also scared and just trying to process all this. And, and, and I just told him, I, like, I know you're really scared, um, but it's only going to get worse. So I'm good at like, counseling. So if you need counseling, I'm your guy. It's only going to get worse. Because fear's not going away. It's a natural emotion. You're going to, on your walk with God, actually, the next one, it's actually going to be more scary. The next step he actually asks you to take is going to scare you more than the last one did. And so just, just embrace that um, adrenaline and exhilaration that, that, that fear can bring us sometimes to, to be terrified. But that doesn't mean we can't embrace the moment. Um, because some fears are that there's, we should be afraid. Like you should be afraid to walk out in traffic because you will get hit by a car if you don't move. Um, we have to teach to, uh, that to our children. And, and, you know, and then the other side of that is, hey, um, you know, the boogeyman, you don't have to be afraid because it's, it's not a legitimate fear. Like there's no reason to be afraid of the boogeyman. But it's hard to convince a kid of that. Like in their mind, Perception is reality. Like we believe it's true, and so it is. And so, how do we view God when we have these encounters? Like these moments in which God is calling us from our humble place and He's showing up in a way that is not normal to us, it's different to us. We've never encountered God in this way. Will we run in fear or can we embrace the moment, embrace the God? of that moment. Because if, if we can, then we have a chance to encounter God. We ha- have an opportunity to, to follow in, in his perfect plan for our life and what he is doing in that moment. What an honor for, for these men. Uh, these guys have, have experienced fear in a very personal way. Fear, indeed, is, is very personal. Uh, like some of us, like you, you like scary movies and you like the fear factor in your life and others of us like, no, thank you. Like keep me away from that. Um, uh, others of us like with roller coasters, the idea of jumping on that, that's scary. I see somebody like shaking your head like that's not me. We're going to a theme park this week and I love roller coasters. I love that adrenaline. Some fear is exhilarating and some is debilitating. But when it comes to God, when we have the right perspective and perception, because perception is real, and we know that he is good and he is for us and he is not against us, we don't have to be afraid of those God moments. We don't have to be afraid of the journey he is taking us on. In fact, one of the reasons he chose these shepherds is because they were humble enough to receive the message. They were humble enough to, to know. I, I think these guys knew in some way that this, this, was, this was a big honor. And maybe the more religious elite that God could have chose from, they would have been too prideful to recognize him in such a humble state. But there is a humility to shepherds that, you know, don't you appreciate when you get around people and maybe you throw a little Christmas party and you bring some family over and you're nervous about everything going right and then nothing goes right and, and you're with people who like 
I don't care. Like, I'm not here for everything going right. I'm here because I love you. Don't, don't you appreciate being around people like that? There's just humility, and they're not, like, too cool for school. And, like, I really appreciate when you're like that because everything don't go right all the time around here either. <laughs> and, and, but I, I think we love being around people. And I think that's how these shepherds were. They were humble, and, and, and they could come, and they could recognize and, and experience the wonder and joy and embrace the moment. They weren't afraid. They said, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. We ain't got nothing better to do. The sheep going to be here when we get back. If they wander off, we'll go chase them down. Let's go. And so they go to Bethlehem to see Jesus. But that picture that we have of God leaks into every bar, part of our emotional life. It leaks into the things we say yes to, the things we say no to, how we spend our time, how we spend our money. Our perception of God leaks into to everything, but a proper perspective on the goodness of God is going to allow, allow us to embrace all these God encounters. I mean, what an honor. Even though it scares us to death, we can embrace that moment and move forward with the Lord. We don't have to be afraid because he's good. And God doesn't want us to be in prison to fear. First uh, John 4 says this, and, we, and so we know and we rely on, on the love God has for us. So many of us try to position ourselves at a distance so that we don't have to rely on God, so that we don't have to rely on the love God has for us. But when we embrace these moments that scare us, that move us beyond our comfort zone, that even raise us up out of the fields, so to speak, in these moments, we come to rely on the love God has for us, not on our ability to understand, not on our ability to make sense of it, but we just rely that God loves me, that he chose me, that he chose to raise me up to this opportunity, and I can embrace that. Because God, he is love. He doesn't just love. That's who he is out of his very being. We love out of what we've received, but God, he is the one we receive it from. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus and there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. God wants that to be driven out of our life in every category. Our fear of death, our fear of being alone, our, 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 our fear of people and what they'll think of us. Uh, our fear of not being understood, like whatever the fear is that, that we are bound to and imprisoned to, our fear of, of failing, like whatever that fear is, God wants it to be driven out and for us not to be in prison. And you're going to experience it again and you're going to have a choice to embrace the moment and rem be reminded that God loves you and you don't have to quit where you're at, but you can keep moving forward and embrace the journey. Embrace the God who has given life to you who has a plan for your life and who's known you from the very beginning. We have a friend named Sean, and Sean's an awesome guy. He's in his early 40s. And Sean was adopted when he was a, a young child, and he never uh, knew his birth parents. And uh, he, his parents were much older when they adopted him. And uh, they were godly people and raised him uh, an amazing, he had an amazing upbringing. He was an only child of uh, adoptive parents who were, were probably more at the age to be his grandparents. Well, a few years back, uh, Sean's um, uh, 
parents passed away, both within a year of each other. It was one of those things, you know, where one goes and the other one goes very quickly after. And um, they're, they're good friends of ours. And, and, and uh, recently, uh, Sean, like uh, probably much more than you and I, got interested in like where he came from, right? I'm interested in the ancestry DNA, but I'm just a little bit worried they're going to like, you know, clone me with something, you know, like with, with a breed and I turn into like a human dinosaur breed or something like that. Um, anyway, uh, so he, but he way more than us was interested in where he'd come from. He didn't know any, anyone and, and he, he, his only family have, have passed away. And, and so he sent in his stuff for his ancestry DNA from one of the organizations, and and um, with it, there, there's like a, a a situation where you can choose to like get to know people, and you can like message them and email them. Well, somehow in this journey, we haven't got all the full details, but uh, he got reached out to by his birth mother. Uh, he's in his early 40s. He was reached out to by his birth mother. I mean, just an incredible opportunity. Um, and I think the way it works is like, do you receive this message? Like, do you? <laughs> Swipe left, swipe right. Like, do you want to open up and, 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 and like, talk and, and give them your phone number? And there's all these decisions to make. And, and frankly, a lot of people have had these decisions to make, and they're like, no, nah, I'm good. No, nah, I'm good. You, you left me, and I, I don't want anything to do with you. Well, Sean was interested. All his family's died, and, and he wanted to see. And so this week, he and his family uh, have flown to Michigan or flying to Michigan this week to go and, and spend time with his birth mother and meet her for the very first time. And so we're, we're really excited about the, that. But, but there was a choice. There was a, a choice to embrace this crazy journey, this unexpected moment in time that was just like, yeah, I'm going to see if, who knows what will hit. Maybe you'll, there'll be... And then there's this God moment. He had a choice to kind of receive that message. Am I going to respond or am I not going to respond? And, and, and these shepherds did too, like, you know, sitting in the field scared to death. They could have made all kinds of excuses, but they said, let's go. And they found the message and it brought joy to their lives, but it didn't, it didn't stop there. And it doesn't stop there with us either. But first, we've got to embrace the message, not just embrace the moment, but embrace the message. As long as we've got that right perspective, then we can embrace the message that it's for us. He didn't just come to this earth so that someone else could know peace, so that someone else could experience life, so that someone else could experience their purpose. No, he came to this earth that you might know a right relationship with God and that you might know that no matter what your story has been, that he's got a plan for your life. I wonder if we too might embrace the wonder of the journey with the one who created us, even like Sean. But fear, fear is a funny thing. It'll cause us to miss out on the joy that God, of who God has designed us to be and who's called us to be. Not just to embrace the, the moment and the message, but to embrace the mission that, that there is something unique for every single one of us to add, not just to the world, but to the body of Christ, that you've been woven in, you've been knitted in, grafted into the family of God. When you, when you declare Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it, it creates a, a new family for you, the family of God. And God wants us to discover and experience the joy of who he's called us to be, to come awake. It's like all of our senses, like my, I don't have a very good sense of smell, going to be real, um, which is good a lot of times. You know what I mean? It was a good thing. Um, but then sometimes 
it's a bummer. And every once in a while, I don't know what it is, my senses just wake up. And God wants us to wake up to, to his presence and wake up to the giftings and purposes he's placed in our life because he has a mission for all of us to tell others the good news. I think it, with these shepherds, um, you know, in the traditional view that often we've looked at them as, as outcasts, we can miss out on um, what the scripture actually says in Luke chapter 2, verse 18. The people that they went and told this great gospel message, the people they told, they weren't amazed that it was shepherds that were telling them. In fact, in the scriptures, it doesn't seem like anybody cares who it is. They're amazed at what they said to them. But so often, I think we make the message about us. We make the moment about us. And while God has a plan for our life and is good in that, when we are carrying forward the mission of God, it's not about us. The reason he brought it to um, shepherds is because they wouldn't gloat like, look at Jesus, he told us first, like suckers. Look at you guys. And based on Jesus' relationship with the Pharisees and how he would call out their sin, he was the one he, they were the ones he was the most critical of, those religious type. Uh, based on that, they would have been the ones to brag about it. They were always bragging about how much they prayed and they wanted to show off how much they were fasting. They wanted everybody to know how awesome they were so they were not good candidates to declare the message of God because God was looking for a humble servant. Somebody that wouldn't make the message about them. That wouldn't let fear stand in the way of the mission. And so my simple thought to you is don't make the headline about you. You're, you're not the headline. We're just servants. Like, like John the Baptist said, I'm, I'm just one pointing, just one pointing. Like, look, the, here comes the Savior. Prepare the way of the Lord. And, and these shepherds were faithful to do that, not to make it about them. They didn't let their fear, their terror consume them where they wouldn't go and see, taste and see what God had for them in this moment. And they wouldn't make it about them. It was about the message and not about the messenger. But oftentimes we, we make it about the messenger. And we, we miss out on the opportunity to carry forth the mission of God because we've made it about we've made it about us. We've made it about our insecurity. We've made it about our fear. We've made it about people knowing us or knowing our name, our fame, or our glory. And God wants us to be humble servants like these shepherds that would just simply point. Be like, look, let me tell you the story. And I wonder if God might do something in this moment for us that we could embrace this very moment we're in. That God would speak something to our heart about maybe the things we're afraid of. I don't know what 2018's look like for you. I don't know where he's brought you on your journey. If you've been here with us, I hope God's been growing you. I hope you've submitted yourself to that. You, you do the heavy lifting of that. We're here to support and encourage and pour in and speak God's word. But your spiritual growth happens in a submitted vessel that's willing to say yes to the moment. Those God moments in which are shaping us, encountering us. And I pray in these next few moments as we pray, as we come and break bread in just a few moments, that we would encounter God and we would embrace the moment we're in and not live in fear any longer. And, and, and certainly, uh, if we have not in this place, if there's anyone who's not embraced this message, this good news for yourself, then you would take the moment today 
to confess you're a sinner because all of us are. Santa Claus theology doesn't work for us, thank God, because scripture tells us we're all on the naughty list. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us is righteous on our own. It's only because of the blood of Jesus that we know salvation. What an honor for these What an honor for these shepherds to come and to be there uh, with Jesus. Years ago, um, one of my my mentors, my spiritual mentor, it's probably 14 years ago, uh, we traveled out of the country uh, doing worship ministry. And uh, we were out at a restaurant the first night we were there. And um, uh, our director, his name is David Horton, came over and kind of patted on our table and walked out the door and collapsed, had a heart attack and died uh, right there. His wife ran in and said, hey, David's, David's fallen. And we, we ran out um, and found, and I was the first one to his body. And, and he was this man of, of really um, large international like notoriety in, in kind of spiritual word, world, like you, in, in church world, like years ago. And, uh, and I always took it as a great honor to be there at his body when he passed. Like I just did. Like I, I know maybe that's morbid, um, but this man had raised up people for, for generations, literally. And uh, to, to be there, I was just really humbled that I had that opportunity. And that sounds morbid, but I, I can't. And he was just a man. He was just a great man, just a good spiritual leader. How much more would these shepherds feel? Honored and humbled to be chosen, to be chosen to come and see him, have a one-on-one personal contact with the Christ child. After everybody's been anticipating and expecting, they were the ones God chose And here today, God's given us the same honor to know him. In this very moment, he's given us the same honor to embrace the message that he's given for us. It's good news. We don't have to fear because it's going to cause great joy for everybody. Before it can be joy for everybody out there as I carry on the mission of God, it's got to be joy in here. But God's love, and I don't know if you've carried any perception in on on, uh, on God, that, that he's not good, that he's out to get you, that he's left you high and dry, that you're alone. And, and I just, I want you to know that God's good. And that I want you to come to know that, that God's love for you is so great and so vast, more than you can wildly imagine he loves you. And he's got good plans for you. And I want to pray for you today that we would embrace this moment we're in now, we would embrace the message that he's given to us and embrace the mission to carry forward the gospel and don't make it about us. Don't get in the way of making it about him. Would you stand with me and let's pray. God, we thank you and we're humbled. Maybe some of us in the room were terrified, God, because you know, we know you're drawing us to a moment in which we have to decide. If we will follow you with our whole heart, we will follow you with our whole life, God. You are leading us to this place. It scares us to know where you might take us in 2019, but God, I pray across this room, you would bring peace. You bring peace, not as this world brings, God, but only that you bring and you give to us and that we might embrace the good news. That is good news for us. There is no letdown in you, God, because you are faithful, Your promises are true. God, and I pray right now for each person under the sound of my voice to know that they have purpose and calling that's far beyond them, God. And and may we find ourselves in a humble place that you might raise us up to be used, God. 
you might raise us up as we greater understand the gospel message and can carry it forward into all the world that all might know this great joy you've given us. We thank you today, God. In Christ's name. It's time of the service where we get to come and partake in the Lord's Supper. A lot of times when we think of Lord's Supper, we, we think of Easter, and it's, it's a beautiful thing that this isn't like a, a once-a-year thing. Uh, I've attended a church in the past in which it was like a once-a-year, let's do communion. But every week we come together to break bread so that we're reminded what Jesus did for us. If you just came to the earth and like, cute baby, good works, good teacher, awesome. Nice story, family values, let's move on with our life. He, he, he didn't come to the earth to give us the gooseies or, or the warm fuzzies around the holiday season. That's not why he came. He came to, to live and to die and to be raised again on the third day. It was God's plan and creation to give us his son. He knew we would not see it any other way unless it happened before our eyes. And this is a representative of his body. Remind us of what he did. Remind us of what he did back then. Remind us of what he's doing right now. Just as tangible as this non-bread is this morning, that you can touch it. God's presence can be tangible and his power can be tangible in your life. His peace can be tangible in your life. It's also a reminder for us to look forward that he hasn't left us here alone and he'll never leave us alone. He will return for his bride. And at that day, we'll either be afraid of the judgment or we won't be afraid of the judgment. Our life will be under the blood of Jesus and there'll be great confidence in that, that we've put our life in Christ or we won't. So if today, if you don't know him, I, I encourage you to, to pray for a few moments, to engage in this moment for your life to say yes to Jesus, maybe for the first time that you are a sinner in need of a savior or to come back home to him and come and break bread with the family of God, knowing that he's made a way for us to experience eternal life.